0: Hey there, I'm Darren Steele, and this is the Think Queerly podcast, where queer thought, leadership, and LGBTQ social justice intersect. On the show, I talk about the unique socio cultural contributions that we as LGBTQ people offer humanity, and I critique the status quo by challenging rigid ideologies and prejudice while attempting to offer solutions to create a more inclusive, empathetic, And humane world. On January 23rd, Pete. Buttigieg, the 37-year-old Democratic mayor of South Bend, Indiana, launched his presidential exploratory committee. Identified as a rising star within the Democratic Party, Buttigieg first received national attention when in 2017 he ran unsuccessfully for chair of the Democratic National Committee, the DNC. His platform, which appealed to many young progressives within the party, centered the generational inequalities between mill- millennials and their baby boom parents. Buttigieg is the first openly gay American to run for president. Now, only a few years ago, a gay presidential hopeful was unthinkable, yet even in the midst of the backlash against LGBTQ equality created by the Trump administration, and I'm quoting here, I feel underwhelmed by the prospect of a president, Buttigieg, and his significance as an openly gay politician. Now these are the words of Jeffrey Jovanone and he goes on to say, "I should relate to Buttigieg. We are of the same age. We both grew up in Rust Belt, a term that refers to the de-industrialized Great Lakes region. Cities: South Bend, Indiana; Buffalo, New York, respectively. Both of our parents are educators." his Notre Dame professors, mine public school teachers, and we were both the valedictorian of our senior class. Now, I've had Jeffrey on the podcast several times. Incidentally, the article that I'm reading from, Pete Buttigieg is not the gay candidate I want, was published only a few days after Buttigieg launched his presidential exploratory committee. And since then, Jeffrey has written a new post titled, Pete Buttigieg is still not the gay candidate I want. So that is one heck of a long introduction. Again, Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be back. So I think that, you know, this isn't going to be a controversial topic at all. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, want to lay it out that way before I turn the floor over a bit more to you to say that Thankfully, you prepared uh, a good outline so that we can stay on track and try and make these points um, very clearly in a way to help, um, if not change hearts and minds, to allow the listener to hopefully tuck their positions or beliefs or emotional reactions just into a corner, just for a moment. Because what I want to say is that this is not a character assassination piece. Any any thoughts on that before we, we move forward, Jeff?
1: I think that when we start critiquing a political candidate, people's immediate reaction is uh, to connect that to voting, right? So if we're cu- critiquing someone, people make the assumption that, you know, that means um, we're saying that we're not voting for that person or we're trying to tell other people not to vote for them. And I think we need to think much more um, complexly, that we need to apply uh, critical thinking to uh, candidates and their positions and how they're presenting themselves, but that that is an issue that's uh, somewhat independent of um, who are we going to vote for, who are we going to uh, to support? Uh, because right, whether we vote for someone or not, or they get a nomination or not, or elected or not. The way that they present themselves, what they say, uh, how they speak about certain issues, or in this case, um, LGBTQ issues, um, those things have consequences and, and implications that we need to fully examine.
0: Perfect. Thank you for that. I really want to stress again and preface that at the beginning of this podcast, because I'm thinking of a particular comment on your latest article, that it's very easy for us to jump to conclusions right away or to get defensive based on our position. And if you, the listener, really listen in closely, what we're looking at, what we're going to be discussing today is really what we hope to to create in a sense of a better society, improved leadership, and not so much identity politics going to, you know, a super side of the left, which usually becomes um, an attack phrase, you know, leftist politics or leftist elitist. That's not the purpose of this discussion today. It is basically all the above what you just said. So we have a lot to cover, and that is a pun. Because I want you to tell us about covering, and this is something that you brought up in your latest article, uh, why why Pete Buttigieg is still not, um, what's the exact title? Not the Gay Candidate I Want, which was published <laughs> on Think Queerly on mediumthinkqueerly.com. So take it away, Jeff.
1: I think that one of the issues that I have with Pete... Um, is when he talks about his gay identity or he's presenting himself as um, a gay candidate, he's continually covering, and I'll explain uh, what that, that means in, in just a minute. And so uh, because he's doing this, I think we therefore need to think about why, and what are the implications um of this because he's become such a public figure, not just for um other lgbtq political candidates now and in the future, but also for the community um, as a whole um, now and and in the future um, as well so the the term covering, as I'm using it, comes from the work of the sociologist um, Irving Goffman from his book that he published in 1963, Stigma Notes on the Management of Spoiled Um, Identity. And Goffman essentially says that people who occupy stigmatized positions within society that there's this pressure that's put on them, um, that they have to manage their stigma in some way that makes others feel more comfortable. Um, and he says that that happens in two different ways, uh, passing and covering. So uh, I think people are probably more familiar with the concept of, um, passing, right? So being um, socially seen or perceived as an identity that you are not, right? So um, gay person uh, passing as um, straight, person of of color passing as uh, white. Whereas covering is a bit more complex, Goffman defines it as downplaying on known identity, right? So here we have a situation where the fact that someone is occupying a stigmatized identity position that that's known, but the person is downplaying or throwing a cover over that identity in some way, um, to manage the stigma surrounding that to make people, um, feel more mm-hmm. comfortable. Uh, and, uh, Kenji Yoshino, uh, who is a legal scholar, um, expands on Goffman's work. And he specifically talks about how uh, covering functions in um, a gay context. And he cites Mm -hmm. three different things. Um, So he says there's uh, appearance, affiliation, and association, right? So appearance, uh, presenting yourself in a more quote-unquote straight-acting way, uh, affiliation, like how much do you uh, affiliate with gay culture, um, and then association, right? How, uh, much do you associate with other gay people or the, the LGBTQ, um, community? And one of the things that Yoshino is arguing about covering that's, uh, particularly, uh, salient here, um, is he says that covering uh, actually poses a threat to Mm -hmm. civil rights. Because if you have people that are covering, right, and presenting themselves in uh, a certain way, right, in this case as an LGBTQ person, then that puts a burden on, Other people to do the same, especially if we're talking about um, someone who's a a public figure, politician like um, Buttigieg, because then what happens is when other people don't cover, when they bring their full self Mm -hmm. to the table, they're accused of being too flamboyant, um, Mm -hmm. troublemakers, Mm -hmm. controversial. And so it creates this host of um, consequences that then throw up hurdles for the uh, the attainment of civil rights and equality.
0: Well, I wonder if, in a way, this idea <clears throat> of covering is almost mandated by the status quo. It's like, okay, well, here we can let you into um, the dominant power structure, but you have to follow the rules as set out by the patriarchy by government by what we think is socially acceptable like what you just said so you know take the extreme like a jonathan van ness from queer eye and his podcast imagine him sitting across from rachel maddow on her um is it cnn Uh, MSNBC. So as my apologies, (laughs) I'm just forgetting the (laughs) networks, but there's, there's a a great example. I was just thinking, as you were saying, you know, there's so many elements to the covering. And then what was it last week? Uh, Buttigieg was called out for working with, or doing some fundraising for the Salvation Army, which has a horrible Mm. history of being anti LGBTQ. And, you know, what, what do we do with that? is that an example of covering as a way of trying to fit within a particular structure and then there's also the fact that he's you know very strongly a uh, a catholic or christian and that that plays another role here all these elements of how he tries to fit in, but use these other elements, like you say, almost as an umbrella to say, well, he's a good boy because, well, he's a Christian, and well, he's doing fundraising for the Salvation Army, and well, he's not acting like a big old sissy on television. He seems to be, from his mannerisms, acting like a man.
1: When one of the, I think, challenging things with analyzing bujaj is that because he's a politician, uh, it, it becomes difficult to tell, uh, what, um, covering is coming from, you know, feeling of, of shame or, uh, personal stigma. And then, uh, what part is political strategy? And, and I, th- I think with him, um based on things that he's that he said the way he presents himself that um both of those things are are intertwined it's it's uh both at um, the same time and i, I do want to quickly address another um point here um you know because people might be thinking oh well don't you know all politicians cover don't they emphasize certain things and um downplay uh, other aspects of their experience, their their biography, um, et cetera. And uh, w- what Goffman is really talking about um, is not uh, just simply downplaying aspects of our story, but um, downplaying identity that is um, stigmatized, right? A, a part of ourself that's like in uh, immutable, characteristics. Uh, so someone's sexuality, their, their uh, racial identity, do they have, um, you know, a, a, um, a disability so that it's, it's, there's more at, at stake here uh, in terms of identities that are stigmatized than just saying, you know, I'm going to um, emphasize the fact that uh, I was a Harvard law professor, but then rate right, de-emphasize um, something about my story that the public might see as uh, as being less desirable. It it um, it goes deeper than that, I think.
0: I think what might be an appropriate example here is, uh, and you um, quoted his part of his coming out essay where he writes. Buttigieg writes, being gay has had no bearing on my job performance in business, in the military, or in my current role as mayor. It makes me no better or worse at handling a spreadsheet, a rifle, a committee meeting, or a hiring decision. It doesn't change how residents can best judge my effectiveness in serving our city by the progress of our neighborhoods, our economy, and our city services. Now, I could read your response, but I'd rather hear your take on it here live. I mean, the first thing is there there are, there are some truths in the sense of no one's effectiveness or efficiency is going to have probably anything to do with the color of their skin, their gender, or sexual identity. But how they view the world, their perceptions, how they've grown up through childhood and adolescence, if they were in the closet— has a neurological effect on brain development, on emotional health, emotional well-being, and emotional intelligence, which is not to say that someone is damaged who was LGBTQ in the closet, but it gives us a very different perspective, which I argue when I'm talking about queer leadership is a uniqueness that offers a creativity for how we view the world and how we can act as in coming from the sidelines, looking in not everyone who's LGBTQ is going to certainly have this, but I think it allows us a perception that is unique and specifically potentially outside of the status quo that allows us to see things in that different way.
1: I think one of the, troubling things um, here is it's really a missed opportunity to uh, connect with people. You know, especially considering the fact that um, this coming out essay was in uh, his local Mm -hmm. newspaper, the South Brand Tribune, when he was running for a second term as um, mayor He doesn't publicly come out until he's 33 years old, right? So he was uh, closeted in college at Harvard and as a Rhodes Scholar. And when he was serving in the U.S. military and when he was running for public office, um, and he's a smart person, he's an insightful person. So he definitely has insight into what it's like being a minority in the United States. And that does have bearing on what he brings to the table as a public official. Um,
0: but just to interject there quickly, like even if we look at how the current government under Trump and, and I want to say Trump specifically, because he's signing these orders, are trying to eliminate not not just the rights of trans people, but they're literally trying to eradicate trans people's existence. And this begs the question, like, does it not behoove Pete Buttigieg to stand up more? Like, uh, in an impassioned way, as a gay man who is out, that this kind of behavior is not acceptable. And just as a, a quick sort of aside here, I mean, there's a history in, in the gay men's community of, and in other parts of the LGB community, of not wanting to accept, of not wanting to address trans issues.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think that at a moment when LGBTQ rights are under attack, because certainly um, the the brunt of those attacks from the Trump administration have been leveled at the transgender community um, because their rights and their acceptance has has been more um, recent in terms of Uh, Being at the forefront of 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 public consciousness, Um, but right also signing um, an executive order that uh, overturned an Obama executive order um, about uh, federal employees um, not being able to be fired for uh, for being. LGBTQ and right. That's, that, that's such a fundamental um, conversation um, right now that right, mm-hmm. should your employer um, be able to, you know, fire you um, based on um, your, your sexual orientations, a whole host of issues. And I think at a moment like that, that is not um, the time to play it safe because mm-hmm. then that's also setting a precedent as well right so you are attacking us you are taking away our rights and not just our, our rights right as you said with the the example with transgender Americans um wanting to erase people out of right existence out of the fabric of the country mm-hmm. um and then if you don't forcefully stand up to that um and you just continue like business as usual, is that just an invitation for further, um, further, further attacks? Um, He doesn't forcefully stand up. He doesn't talk about the unique perspective that he has and then how that unique perspective translates to government and what he would do in government right so how the the micro the individual story creates or relates to the macro the the big wide sweeping government change that um he would enact and not just relating to LGBTQ people, but uh, in terms of how does that translate to how he would make the government uh, work better for everyone, not just the privileged at the top.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if this question has been addressed elsewhere. I'm sure it probably has, you know, do you think possibly he is well, possibly two things? One, afraid of being labeled the gay issue or the LGBTQ issue candidate or two, just because he's gay, I'm gay, I'm queer political, or just because somebody else anywhere in government in the United States may be LGBTQ identified doesn't necessarily mean that they may have taken the time to consider to study, um, to want to advocate for those particular rights. Now, in my mind, I think, well, why wouldn't you? (laughs) Especially at this level. And and this goes back to sort of how I preface the, the, the opening of this podcast, is that what you're looking at, what you're concerned with, is as a politician... And as a gay man, what do we expect of Pete Buttigieg as a candidate when he has the potential to evoke, to create change in the rights for the equality and improvement of the lives of LGBTQ people in the United States of America?
1: And on the point that you made about, um, well, I think essentially what you're saying is, you know, does um, every LGBTQ person need to be uh, educated about that, that struggle and those rights, if I'm understanding you correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it's not just that um, he's gay, but he's also a Democrat <laughs> and supporting LGBTQ rights has become a fundamental uh, part of the, Uh, Democratic Party's platform in the United States. Um, And I think that, you know, whether by virtue of the fact that um, he's gay, he's going to get positioned that way anyway. So my Mm -hmm. thought is um, you might as well embrace that and use that to your advantage. He should be right. Because of, um, who he is, uh, the, the person that is, uh, most forcefully, most Mm. accurately, uh, most passionately speaking about LGBTQ rights as Mm. part of the, um, the democratic primary. Um, and he's not straight Mm. candidates are, I think doing it, um, far better than, than he is. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, part of what he's not doing is he doesn't narrate his coming out quote unquote um, story Mm -hmm. with any sort of degree of specificity. There's always this vagueness. um, And that's another way that, that he, Covers. Uh, mm-hmm. He he leaves out information. He jumps over, um, and so when he was on uh, Rachel Maddow's show on MSNBC this past spring, mm-hmm. uh, and um, she's an out lesbian and was also a Rhodes Scholar and was the first openly gay Rhodes Scholar. She asked him this very forceful question of, um, you you know, you were closeted till you're 33. Mm -hmm. Why was that? Explain that. What was that like? And the most that he really says is that it was hard, Mm -hmm. which is kind of stating the obvious, he, he doesn't uh, fully narrate um, how he went through this denial or unawareness to recognition, to um, self-acceptance, to coming out, which then causes me to, uh, to question to to what degree does he actually feel Um, self-acceptance? To to what degree does he feel uh, pride about being gay, right? And that gets to the um association uh piece of Yoshino's definition of, of um covering, right? To right. and also um affiliation, right? To what to what extent extent does he see LGBTQ people as um his people? And that's interesting. Perhaps it's that um he sees being gay as not something to be proud of, Mm -hmm. but as something that um, he has to deal with on the way to achieving his political ambitions. Like a minor inconvenience.
0: Uh, Yes. I was thinking both, you know, my coming out story and the Rachel Maddow interview where uh, I was brought up pretty strong catholic and for whatever reason i was enamored with the church and was an altar boy was a a lector uh was actually considering going into the priesthood was doing these uh three day two and a half day weekend retreats i think i did six of them and when i started then questioning my identity my sexual identity and i couldn't find solace and i couldn't even find acceptance on these retreats in confession with the priests, I broke away. And I questioned everything, and I went down the route of being agnostic towards being atheist. And then I looked at everything in a very challenging, combative, and negative way. And then over the years, I started to understand and reconcile. And my approach then has been, no, celebrate my creative difference, look at ways that I can reconfigure and change society, not to try and melt in. And what I got from the Rachel Maddow interview is what I take issue with this melting pot culture idea of the United States, which forces hegemony, which forces status quo. It's like, let's take all our differences and just put them into a pot and melt them down into one single set of values, American values. And in that, you know, Pete Buttigieg has grown up also, Christian, and I don't know exactly to what what extent or what kind of mind bending, because that has an influence on how we think. So, if there's a lot of shame around his gay identity that is, you know, at conflict with his religious upbringing, that's going to be a very different thing, and perhaps that's part of the covering issue. Thoughts
1: on right. that? Right, and um. He's Episcopalian, okay. which um, is the most, um, to my understanding, LGBTQ affirming um, denomination. Um, but didn't he switch? However,
0: didn't he switch religions recently?
1: I don't think he grew up Episcopalian. Right. Um, but what I was going to say is that even if you're in a Christian. Context, right? mm-hmm. even if you're in an, a more affirming um, denomination, but you're you're in the context of uh, Christianity, right? certainly you're going to be aware of a, and pick up on right? some of the uh, the other uh, messaging surrounding right? how um, certain sects of Christianity uh, view gay identity. Mm-hmm. Well want to give you a
0: chance here to, if there's any more points to interject on, I mean, yeah, there there were a lot of things you brought up in your last essay. Um, there was the last Democratic presidential debate, and we're recording mm-hmm. today before one's happening this evening. Um, and then there's been some information in the news about him calling the police on, you know, African-Americans that were protesting outside of his uh, campaign office and a lot of opportunities there for growth and, and connection and embracing diversity. Before we get into covering and in queer leadership, is there anything you want to wrap on uh, what's been in the news of late?
1: In the, uh, at one point I want to make with uh, the Democratic uh, presidential um, debate. And so we're talking about the the debate that was held on um, November twentieth um, of twenty nineteen, and so to to set the stage um, a bit here, one of the moderators um, asked Senator uh, Kamala Harris from California um, to elaborate on a criticism that she um, had made about um, Buttigieg. Uh, just lack of, um, outreach to black voters within the democratic party. Um, and she said, you know, essentially, uh, the Democrats have been taking advantage of African-American voters, particularly black women, right? So we're, we're going to count on your, your vote. We're just going to assume that as uh, racial minorities, you're going to vote for us because we're the party that speaks to that. But, um, we're not going to really reach out to you or, um, address your issues in a substantive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and Buttigieg, and I won't, um, read his, you know, full, um, response, but he essentially says, um, I care about, right, People who are, um, Marginalized within society because my faith teaches me that salvation has to do with how I make myself useful to those who have been excluded, marginalized, and cast aside and oppressed in society. Um, and I care about this because, well, I do not have the experience of ever having been discriminated against because of the color of my skin. I do have the experience of sometimes feeling like a stranger in my own country, turning on the news and seeing my own rights come up for debate and seeing my rights expanded by a coalition of people like me and people not at all like me, working side, working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, um, making it possible for me to be standing here. Um, So, And then he goes on to, right, talking about his wedding ring that couldn't have happened um, two elections ago. He won't even say the word gay in this response or um, LGBTQ. He gestures towards that in all these veiled different ways, right? So first of all, uh, his faith tells him that he has to make himself useful to um, the marginalized and then... Doesn't even say right, uh, um, but as right, a gay man, I sympathize in this way. He just wants the listener to infer that by talking about right, seeing his turning on on the news and seeing his rights um, come up for debate, and then right, invoking the the wedding ring. So all of these uh, respectable ways that he is presenting his um gay identity and essentially right he he um uh, <laughs> within the the span of a of a few statements um covers like three different times so mm-hmm. uh right uh talking about the faith um talking about his rights being up for debate without rates right, uh, specifically saying as a gay American and then referencing his marriage. Um, You know, and I, I, I I really have to wonder young people who are watching this young LGBTQ people. What, um, what, what are they taking away from this that Mm -hmm. he won't even say who he is? Well, This is the
0: point where... Need to ask the question about identity politics. You know, this is the point where some people that are going to possibly object to this entire discussion will be like, well, you know, he doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to say as a gay American. But the point we're making here is... And I've talked about this, written about this elsewhere, is that unfortunately we have a lot of labels at the moment and the reason we need these labels is just because of the amount of prejudice and racism that's so prevalent and if we aren't seen i guess we're covering
1: and there's there's uh, right, as as i said before there's civil rights implications mm-hmm. here And this might be a bit controversial to say, but I think um, people don't understand what exactly identity politics is. And I think that that's, you know, through no fault of their own, but because it's Mm -hmm. not presented in an accurate way by the mass media. Right. So identity politics is not, um, I am this identity. So therefore I am only going to speak to or focus on the issues that, um, pertain to people who also have that identity, uh, identity politics for me is the understanding and the recognition that, because of who certain people are, what um, categories they socially and culturally fall into, that identity is something that is used as one way to confer rights and resources on some people and to deny those rights and resources to other people. So in other words, uh, some are privileged, some are um, oppressed and that in addressing certain issues, we need to take identity into account to actually Mm -hmm. make things equal. And in this case, right, to make a, Government that actually works for all citizens, not just mm-hmm. those who are the most privileged. And when we create that sort of government or that sort of system, everyone is more able to bring their best self, their perspective, their talents, what they can contribute to the table, which then creates a better society. And so when we're talking about identity politics, right, we're, it's not just focusing on a certain group. We're focusing on the inequality that stems from that so that we can create a better society for everybody. Wonderful.
0: That wasn't as short of an explanation <laughs> as I was hoping
1: for. But it was It was really,
0: really, no, but it was necessary and it was really clear. I mean, it, that it, it just goes to show how, um, easy it is to comp to make this a convoluted, um,
1: um, Situation because it is complex,
0: and and I I think oh, and so to to
1: give the short version of of the answer, um, (laughs) what (laughs) Pete could do is use his gay identity to build bridges and to create a coalition.
0: Right, I think that might be a perfect segue into. You know, how we can bring covering and, and queer leadership together. And I've been talking about this for some time, trying to look at what is a queer leadership, not so much as a new style of leadership that you might get in a popular book at the bookstore uh, that you can use as a way of managing employees and such, but more of a philosophical approach to leadership and I'd, I'd love to hear, I'm going to go okay. first <laughs> because it's my show, <laughs> but, um, I, I, you know, I've been, I actually hadn't put it into a very succinct, um, definition. So my way of defining clear queer leadership is leading from our difference as creative uniqueness i oh, sorry. I should, but That's terrible grammar. Yeah. Leading from our difference with creative uniqueness, not to assimilate into the dominant culture, but to liberate—not just ourselves, but mm-hmm. also those oppressed by the dominant status quo. What's What's your take on that, or how might you define a queer
1: leadership? I'm going to give a less um, polished answer. <laughs> just, just yeah, worrying, you may not have um, prepared one. <laughs> Listeners right off the bat. Um, so I see being queer as, um, more than, uh, just sexual orientation. I think that, that we've, um, boiled it down to that because that makes it, um, the most easily understood or understandable, um, and, Right. therefore, if we package it in a more understandable way, it's easier to assimilate within the the mainstream and assimilation is often right the um, fastest way to the attainment of civil rights, but of course, there's consequences there, so I think um, being queer is about or that, that that queer people we we inherently um exist outside of or break um socially defined uh boundaries and so therefore we are um in a unique position if we embrace that and also bring to the table um our Experience of being marginalized and our understanding of how that um, works to lead in a way that um, is outside of the box and can be mm-hmm. truly transformative. Um, and I think w- what we see with people like P is he doesn't necessarily want to embrace that uh, because for a lot of people that can be scary when you get too far outside of the status quo yeah
0: i was thinking one you know and i really appreciate the fact that you uh uh, mentioned here that queer doesn't have to deal with sexual identity and I think the Q in queer means questioning. So somebody that may have grown up believing they were straight and suddenly realizes with empathy and with bravery and vulnerability, it's like, I, I'm finding I'm having emotional and, and, and physical feelings for this person of, of the same gender as me. What do I do with that? And just Even if it's not that, it just means also looking at things through a different lens, not looking at things as a left side, right side, up or down, but in this multidimensional realm of possibilities, like very yin and yang. There's never going to be an absolute end. It can't exist. There's this, this side that as it moves around, moves the opposing side, and it's constantly evolving and fluid like water. You can't hold it. You can only move through it. And covering then allows us to avoid the questions of difference. You know, you had given me the, the the talking point here or the question, do queer public figures have a different responsibility to use their difference to make a difference than the average queer citizen? And and I think, unless there's something else you really want to add to that, that that's been really adequately addressed thus far in, in the podcast. But I want to quote something that you wrote, and maybe you'll speak to that. You say, I think members of the LGBT community are simply tuned into issues that our straight cisgender counterparts are not.
1: Yeah. So I I think um, two things there um, on my original piece, uh, there was someone that commented and said, um, well, you know, given what gay people experience, you can't expect everyone to, you know, feel this kind of great sense of um, pride about their identity. Uh, And certainly that's true, but there's a difference between, Mm -hmm. I think the average LGBTQ person and then someone who is um, a public figure in the way that Buttigieg is. There's a different responsibility there. If he is um, presenting himself as a gay American, a gay candidate, um, there, there's a responsibility um there. I know, right, even for myself, and I'm sure you feel this way, to um uh, when I step in the front of a classroom or uh I give a public talk or, or I'm doing something like this, uh, I feel the weight of this responsibility to uh represent. Um, myself in a, in a, a certain way that is going to be a positive uh example or a role model to others and the second point you make right we're we're being uh, you know, uh being tuned into different issues a lot of um critique of p has come from within the LGBTQ community, um, other gay men also, uh, I think some of the most excellent critiques have, have come from, um, queer and trans people, uh, of color talking about his candidacy. Um, and I think maybe to the, the outside observer, right. That that's, um, uh, easy to, or people want, want to attribute that to, uh, gay male bitchiness, to jealousy. But, but my point is that, right, because, uh, people who are coming from that position, commenting on him, have, uh, a more personal, intimate, um, understanding of, of what it means to be an LGBTQ person at, at this point in time, that, um, we, Mm. See issues with his candidacy that our straight and cisgender counterparts um might not, and one of the the issues that that I'm um tuning into right is the the consistent way that he covers, and because he does that, we need to think about what what the um mm. implications are.
0: Well, I was just thinking, and I've, I've got a quote I'm going to read here in a moment, is that there's there's an aspect of um, both his privilege, which he's um, described, the types of privilege that he's had as an individual, um, and I think covering affords even further a privilege, but then his life experience, whether or not that has... And in the fact that he always seems to shy away from really telling the more expanded narrative of his coming to terms with coming out and whether or not that's lacking a a deeper discernment that may have, that might not for him have caused kind of Mm -hmm. a response, uh, like what I described of my coming out, um, that resulted in kind of an anger and a frustration. And so... I was reading Audre Lorde and her essay, The Uses of Anger, Women Responding to Racism. There's a particular quote in there that is that is so relevant, and I'm not trying to express here that our candidate, Pete Buttigieg, needs to be angry, but it's what's in these words. So I'll read, I'll, I'll quote Audre Lorde here first. I cannot hide my anger to spare you guilt, nor hurt feelings, nor answering anger, for to do so insults and trivializes all our efforts. Guilt is not a response to anger. It is a response to one's own actions or lack of action. If it leads to change, then it can be useful, since it is then no longer guilt, but the beginning of knowledge. Yet, all too often, guilt is just another name for impotence, for defensiveness destructive of communication. It becomes a device to protect ignorance and the continuation of things the way they are, the ultimate protection for changelessness. When I read that, I was preparing for the podcast, I thought, my God, that is the, that is the result of covering when we have a person who has the potential Wherever he, however he becomes elevated within the political system, this person, Pete Buttigieg, has the potential to affect such change, and if not change, at least visible awareness of the issues. Mm -hmm. And yet, this is what's bothering you. It's like, why aren't you seizing onto this? And this is really putting words into your mouth here. This is really the core of what frustrates
1: you right now. Exactly. And, you know, I want to be very clear that you know, I'm, I'm not a, a Pete hater. I'm actually coming at him or trying to to uh, approach him from the, the perspective of empathy mm-hmm. that I would like to understand him because, uh, with the quote that you read from my first essay, uh, there's things that we have in common mm-hmm. and reading, uh, his biographical details, right? I feel like I should be able to relate to him in some way, but I, I just don't understand him. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, he's not giving us enough where I think we can, um, fully understand him or at least this part of him, um, and his story. And I think if he embraced that, it could be, um, so powerful in terms of talking about how his experience translates to, Mm -hmm. um, to what he would do in government. And I think it's, it's perfect that you bring up Audre Lorde's work because to me um, she really exemplified her career, her life and career exemplified uh, I think what what you're labeling um, queer leadership because one of the central pieces of Mm Lorde's thought was that our differences are not things that we should be Ashamed about or Mm -hmm. hide, but they are actually tools that we can use to create change. And just Mm -hmm. because we are different from one another, that doesn't mean we can't work together across those differences.
0: Well, I think this might be good for us to come to this, the final section of this discussion is, you know, can. Can someone exercise an effective queer leadership, or even effective leadership in general, if they're if they're covering, or if they're coming from a place of shame? And I think that was kind of how you concluded your 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 latest essay on uh, on Pete. And you know, one of the classic texts on uh, gay male shame is "The Velvet Rage" by Alan. Downs, and this is not to say that this is the case with Pete. Right, we're we're having a discussion to look at what might be some of the reasons for what we're observing. Um, and a political candidate, just like a Hollywood actor, is a facade on one level. We 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 really do not know um, how much of the person we are seeing is authentic we don't know all of the struggles and the hopes of dreams of that person. But, you know, so my final reading of a quote, which is a good um, point for the discussion here, and it I, I just want to also mention there is a difference between shame and guilt, and Audrey Lord was using guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, guilt is about one's behavior um, and one's actions for something that you have done. So, you know, you feel guilty because you didn't, Say the right thing. You didn't uh, show up for the eight o'clock a.m. meeting with somebody who was depending on you. Whereas shame is something you feel about who you are as a person, possibly for your identity. And it's most often taught and forced upon you by others. And when it's repeated often enough, you begin to own that shame and you start to believe it's your fault. And which is why we have pride, because the opposite of shame. Mm-hmm. pride. So just to get into this quote, and then we'll, we'll move on. Right in the, uh, the preface to the 2012 edition of the Velvet Rage, Downs writes, for the majority of gay men, and this is just gay men here, right? We're not talking about LGBTQ people, but certainly there's shame issues for all identities within that acronym. For the majority of gay men who are out of the closet, shame is no longer felt. What was once a feeling has become something deeper and more sinister in our psyches. It is a deeply and rigidly held belief in our own unworthiness for love. We were taught by the experience of shame during those tender and formative years of adolescence that there was something about us that was flawed, in essence unlovable, and that we must go about the business of making ourselves lovable if we are to survive, which I think here is a possibility for covering so continuing we were hungry for love but our very existence depended upon it as the british psychiatrist Artie lang noted whether life is worth living depends on whether there is love in life the lesson of that early crippling shame was imprinted on our lives if you are to be loved you must hide the truth about yourself and work at being lovable I have lots to say on that, but Jeffrey, what do you think?
1: Hmm. I'll correlate in that to P in a political context. Could we simply replace the word uh, lovable with um, electable? <laughs>
0: yeah. Likeable, trustable, trustworthy. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, 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 enough of, an acceptable, respectable gay man that he has the possibility of being elected to the highest office.
1: Though for me, it it, uh, it comes off as the the opposite. It Mm -hmm. comes off as um, being inauthentic, which makes him not likable Mm. to me. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think um, we can't lead from... A place of shame because we're not bringing our full self to the table. We're not letting ourselves truly be seen. And then, so, right, like how does um, that shame that he might um, feel translate to the context of government? then, right, do we, say say he was elected, um, do we trust him to actually Mm -hmm. exert um, forceful leadership Mm -hmm. on LGBTQ issues, or is he going to um, continue to cover in order to be lovable as, or likable as Mm -hmm. a elected official?
0: I just had an insight um, and I went right back to uh, um coming out essay, which we talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. where he says, being gay has had no bearing on my job performance in business, in the military, and so on and so on." That's performance. Yeah. A very capitalist approach to, I can, I can lead because I've been a good performer it has nothing to do with one's identity it has nothing to do with his courage or authenticity as a human being or as someone who like you said seems to be covering in other ways and not quite wanting to be the gay candidate
1: you want there's a lot of i think complex things going on there um Right. And uh, on the one hand, sexuality is uh, irrelevant to right, being able to, as you said, like literally perform the basic functions of the job. Mm-hmm. But of course, right? If that's who you are, if that's how you experience the world that's the perspective that in at least in part you're going to bring to what it is that you're doing. So uh, I guess um, what I'm saying is it might not impact your ability to right um, perform, but it might impact the way that you do that or you approach that or, um, what you emphasize or what what you see as um, important or worthy, or your ability to um, to to connect with people absolutely you know
0: you had mentioned when we were first discussing um, this podcast, one of your concerns, and I think you touched on it on the last uh, article you wrote to sort of bring this podcast to uh a slowly winding conclusion it's like what might someone like mayor pete tell us about the state of lgbtq rights Mm. at the present moment and i was thinking you know thanks to you you recommended uh martin duberman's latest book has the gay movement failed and i was Mm. reading the you know the recent uh, sorry the uh the history of the the gay rights movement so there's the um different acronyms for the different groups one was just much more radical one was more about trying to get rights and respect and it would be the difference between liberty and equality and this conflict and divergence of the gay rights movement where you know there was very much a strong movement that was anti-marriage um mm-hmm. anti-war uh anti-institution and then suddenly there was a push towards, well, let's be like everybody else. Let's get married. Let's try and fit in to the melting pot culture and we'll get a picket fence around a nice new house and maybe also get the ability to adopt and have a dog. So instead of sexual and emotional liberation Mm -hmm. for all people and, and, and creating a, a, a different and egalitarian society, it was about, no, let's let's get, you know, we do all need rights and freedoms, but we haven't changed really uh, the basic constructs of society as all, at, at all. So, you know, is Buttigieg just perpetuating this or what he stands for and believes in?
1: This reminds Co- compared me.
0: Compared yeah. to perhaps, like, you know, perhaps compared to the other Democratic candidates, I guess, at this moment. Yeah. Uh, th-
1: so this reminds me of um, one of my uh, favorite um, quotes from the activist Ellen Brady, who is involved in the the uh, gay liberation movement. Uh and lesbian feminist movement in the early 1970s and is a, a, a founder of um, those movements um, and she says um, we didn 't want a piece of the pie, we wanted to reconstruct the whole damn bakery yeah, so people I'll like Pete right um, want a piece of the pie because assimilation is often the fastest um, pipeline to the attainment of civil rights, but that only gets you so far. And in a way it's a trap because then you're stuck in this model where in order to be acceptable, you need to be um, just like everyone else. You need to cover your differences um, versus right. Reconstructing, the bakery enacting structural change in society that is not just going to insert LGBTQ people into a system that is inherently uh, oppressive or that wasn't built to work for them, but actually restructuring um, things so that there is uh, liberation that um, people don't have to right, cover their uh, their differences where um, variation is the model as opposed to conformity.
0: I sort of jumbled together some thoughts in a in a short sentence. It's it really based on that essay I cited earlier from Audrey Lord. So it's kind of paraphrasing. So I can't say this is my unique sentence, but perhaps uh, as a way of bringing us to final thoughts, if we fail to recognize all facets and variations of prejudice and racism as a gay man, as an LGBTQ person, then we perpetuate oppression and
1: our own. And isn't that, I think, essentially uh, one of the implications of what someone Um, like Pete is, is doing that's one of the, the side effects that we need to look at in terms of, yes, maybe he's um, advancing the needle by being the first out gay um, democratic presidential hopeful, but what are the consequences of uh, the way that he is doing that. And uh, I guess that's my concluding thought, um, you know, Mm -hmm. around when um, I was was writing the second follow-up piece, uh, Greta Thunberg, 16-year-old climate activist was named um, Time Person of the Year. Now she's not queer in the sense of sexuality, um, but she does have Asperger's syndrome and she, she um, has said, my difference is a superpower. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And so imagine what things could look like at this moment if Mayor Pete also saw his difference as a superpower. Because when we're in a period of backlash, when people feel under attack, when their rights are being eroded, that's not a time to play it safe. That's the time when... You have to stand up and use your superpower to do what you can, and I, I mm. think I think being queer is a superpower if we choose to see it and use it in that way. Oh, I was just thinking just to add to
0: that we only have power when we are given it by others because otherwise you're a dictator and you're enforcing and you're making people do things and you get power by gratitude or or the value of what it is you offer and you know I think it just makes sense that the more authentic you are, the more real the more you you Wear your difference on your sleeve as, like you said, your superpower. The potential for more power freely given to you, and in this case, it's just going to be in the form of support and voters, and playing it safe, covering, isn't allowing and. This is just our perception. Isn't allowing possibly Pete Buttigieg to fully express how how great he could actually be if he if he fully came out in the sense of authentically embracing all the aspects of who he is. And then recognizing that perhaps aligning more strongly with the LGBT community in a positive and more vocal and more visible way, and standing against those groups or organizations that work so hard to take away our rights or to deny our existence, who knows whether it would get them elected, but it would make a profoundly influential Difference in the landscape of American politics.
1: And not just LGBTQ people, but using that to uh, build a bridge to, as he suggests that he wants to do, everyone who is uh, marginalized, in particular, uh, I think, uh, Black and Latinx voters. Whew. (laughs) We covered a lot there. Any, uh, Have we, have we covered (laughs) everything, Jeff? (laughs) I think so. Um, Yeah. You know, and and I I think I just want to um, reiterate that the discussion is, you know, not about quote unquote, uh, canceling Pete because of troubling things that he said or um, telling people not to vote for him, but. Uh, let's bring a critical eye to the situation and to uh, the issues because that's how we make things better. Amazing.
0: Well, I think that's a great place to end. So as always, keep thinking queerly and thank you for listening.